Evil demons. Wretched monsters. Haunted houses. You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. All right. Well, welcome to your weekly homeownership podcast. Uh, This is your annual reminder to get outside and clean all the leaves and the pine straw and the gunk and the junk off of your roof. Yeah. And also to get in your attics like I did today and flush your HVAC system. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) With some bleach. I have no idea how to do that. So you're going to have to teach me. (laughs) Oh, you haven't done that? I've never done that. But I also got a new. Oh, my God. I should have done that when I was there. I got a new system. Yeah. Christian helped me out today. Christian got all the roofs or Christian got all the roofs (laughs) off my leaves. He got all the leaves off my roof today. I got all the roofs off her house. So thankfully, I have no more roofs. Totally exposed. (laughs) Very much appreciated, though. It's uh, I'm not a good homeowner. Um, I'm sure that's surprising to no one. But no, you're a great homeowner. Um, questionable. And the ghost ooh, here would also disagree. I was going to say you're a better homeowner because you know more about your home history because Dude, you found out today. Yeah. So for whatever reason, Christian and I attract strange entities into one another's lives because I've I've heard his stories about his house and his stuff. Yep. And I've always been present when people have like dropped knowledge bombs on him about his house. Yes. Well, then today he's at my house on my roof and this woman drives up and like signals me over to her car. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I went over to her car and she tells me that she's the neighbor. She lives across the street, not directly, but like on my street. And she's like, Uh, I just wanted to say hi. I haven't said, which I've lived in this house for three years. Granted, one of them, two of them have been a pandemic. So two of them have been a pandemic fully. Um, So I haven't really interacted with my neighbors that much, which I told Christian after this woman left. Um, But she lives across the street. And she said that she and her sister built these houses, my house and the house that she lives in, which my house was built in the 80s. So not that long ago. Um, But she said that they built these houses. And then she started to tear up. And said that her sister had passed away, which, I mean, I obviously got the house somehow, right? <laughs> um, but I, I get mail from multiple people, so I don't know who has lived here in that time in A few people have lived in your house. A few people. But this woman starts crying. She said that she's, like, experienced all of these, like, family and holiday events in my house. And she just misses her sister and wanted to introduce herself <laughs> to me <laughs> as she's crying. Which is so sweet and sad. It's very sweet and very But sad. it's weird timing. It's weird timing. And then I immediately, once she left, of course, Christian and I, like, go into my backyard and I said to Christian, you know, did did this woman die in my house? Like, is that a thing? I don't know. Um, but obviously I couldn't ask her that. So I wanted to go across the street and be like, hey, lady, <laughs> how'd your sister die? Where'd she die? What happened? I can't. I can't do that. I just can't. And it's probably like we were just saying before we started recording, sometimes ignorance is truly bliss. Yeah. Um, yeah. But obviously you've heard me have my weird, like flashy light paranormal things here. So I thought I'd tell you guys, um, in addition to your, you know, 
homeownership <laughs> items, line items, spring cleaning. Yeah, it's that time of year, guys. Check on your poltergeists and ghosts and make sure they're doing <laughs> just, well, too. Just check in. Just check in yeah, with the spirits in your home. Check in. Make sure they're doing okay. Make sure they don't need anything because if they need something, you're not listening. They're going to they're going to make you listen. They're gonna and make you don't you want listen. that to happen. You should definitely you just be don't proactive about this. Trust Be proactive. Us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so there's been a lot hmm. of weird uh, energy um the past few days. We we've had some pretty crazy storms come through our town. We did. Mm-hmm. Or our part of the continent really. It's been yeah. massive storms. Yeah. Like power blipping going out, whatever, weird lights flashing. There was some strange energy oh, for man. Like one whole day. My house, your house, my yeah, parents' house. Everywhere. It was uh Easter, wasn't it? It was Easter, yeah. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. What what a day. <laughs> what a day to have mm. these things happen. Um, I literally, the power went out when I was falling asleep a couple nights ago. I've already told Christian this, but it was like 1 a.m. I heard it like go, go out, you know, everything zaps down. I was like, okay, whatever. I was awoken rudely at 4 a.m. by my, I have like a stick Dyson vacuum cleaner because I have cats. Very and, rude. He didn't ask know. permission at um, all. No, not at all. And I guess the power came back on and my vacuum cleaner came on too, even though it has, it's a, like a push button. Like you have to be holding the button for it to be on, you know, like when you use it and it revved on fully for like a good (laughs) eight to 10 seconds at four in the morning. Um, (laughs) I'd have been out of my skin. (laughs) I was, I was out of the bed. The cats were out of the bed. I told Christian, I'm lucky I didn't get scratched to death because it was absolutely terrifying. And then same morning, same morning at. I was already kind of awake, you know, but it was around seven and my smoke detector let out two really loud alarms back to back, like the same really night. loud, the same night, yeah. just a few hours after this. Um, and then in my like half asleep, I was like, oh, it probably is related to the power outage. No, the smoke detectors are battery operated. They're battery powered because if it was power, they still have to operate. Exactly. So, and there's no smoke. I mean, there was no, there was nothing. So again- my cats flew. And it wasn't just the annoying beep to like tell you the battery's low. It was oh, the like, no. this is the alarm mm-hmm. sound. We're no, testing and I changed the, the batteries like maybe two months ago. So it definitely was not the battery beep. It was I'm an you. alarm beep. That lady's dead sister was trying to tell you something. Well, I really wish that she'd find a more effective means of communication. <laughs> Waking me up is not the answer, sis. Wherever you are. No, maybe that's the best the way. I don't think so. Which is funny because on Easter, the day that my parents' house was having strange energy, the power went out there. Oh, my god! And it was messing with the AC. And then later we were leaving. My mom very ominously stopped like in the – it was dark by then. Stopped in the living room when I was leaving and she looked at me and she pointed at my sister's bedroom down the hallway. And there was a light coming out of, the, out of her room. Hmm. And it was a very dim light. So, you know, it was just like a lamp. My mom turns to me and very quietly, very stoically said like when the power came back on, it turned that light on in your sister's bedroom. Oh my gosh. And just held it like that. And I was like, okay. To, to clarify, your sister does not live there any longer. No, I mean, that we're all moved out now. Right. But it was so, so, just, so weird. Yeah, that's super So a lamp weird. turned on because they of the power. hadn't turned on. There, I don't know what was going on with the And grid, then your dude. vacuum turned on because of the power. Yeah. How does it work? I don't get it. I don't understand either. If you get if it. If you're an electrician or some if sort of- If you guys get it, tell us how this works. <laughs> Please explain. But now that we're like, you know- a few minutes into this podcast. I am Christian, as you've said. Mm. And you're Kaylin. Yep. I'm Kaylin. And this is 
that's pretty dark. This is. If you're looking for something other than this, that's pretty dark. Uh, You're in the wrong place. Yeah, but we're not talking about, (laughs) this isn't a home ownership podcast, even though we joke like it is. This is the entertainment podcast that you came to enjoy. And we are on part two of the page master. Can you imagine if people just like immediately clicked off when you introduced us like that? <laughs> They're like, this isn't what I was looking for. Why is this? Weird. Is this a haunted home ownership podcast? April Fools is coming on, folks. Totally is. Oh, one last thing before we kick off part two of the page master, which I'm so pumped for. We're gonna take you through the entire movie oh, yeah. and kind of talk through all of the things that we love about the movie. But before we do that. I was going to tell Christian that, as you said, you were at your parents over Easter. I also went to my parents' house. And my mom, every time I go to my parents' house lately, she's digging through what was my closet. And so she'll give me, like, boxes of stuff. So I have a bunch of, like, notebooks, which is pretty funny, actually. Like, stories I wrote when I was little. Boxes of, Um, like, bones. Some some Neopets stuff from, you know, being, like, 11. Other skeleton pieces. 10, maybe. And then I found this box that had all of my favorite, like, toys in it and i'll show christian one of the things i brought home now whoa i brought it with me it's it's a dinosaur it's a um brontosaurus yeah but of course this was little foot to me it's not little foot big old long neck but it's one of those and i have it up on my (laughs) desk now because this toy when i saw it it totally it it was one of those reactions where it was like i know you (laughs) like i remember you um (laughs) so i'm putting it on my desk because it reminds me of being imaginative and all the things that you know this this podcast represents it's just That's amazing. Uh, I love that. And it's the right kind of greenish color too. Yeah, he's super green and like slime green, so That's amazing. Yeah. Look at that. So he lives on my desk now. We'll post a picture of that. Yeah. And also uh that was your second to last thing cuz now I have a thing to say. So oh, this is the last okay. thing. Okay. Okay. My last thing is I just got an early birthday gift. Oh, dude, yeah. Kaylin today. He's it's he's incredible. a week out, by the way. Wish yeah, Christian we're, a happy we're birthday a week next week. Wish me a happy birthday if you love me yeah. or if you hate me. It too, won't be a week fine. out when you're hearing this. So it'll be like four days away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's next Wednesday, yeah. 27th. So, but yeah, so you got, she got me this. I'll post a picture of it too. It was this, um, yeah. two things really. One is like, a, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's a Goonies inspired, um, one-eyed Willie's, I forget, it's like treasure hunting club or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like a little, well, it's a pen. It's like but an enamel pin, be, but it's like a badge. It's you know? based off of the um, the doubloon or whatever, like the medallion yes. thing is that they have. Yes. It's super cool looking. And also this old, it's a VHS that's sort of been like re- revamped and redone. There's a light inside of it mm-hmm. and it's that greenish goosebumps light. I forget the color green. Yeah, it has a name. The, the day glow green color. Mm-hmm. And it's it got the green slime coming down. It's super cool. Anyway. Yeah, they painted it custom. It's really awesome. We'll have to shout out the Etsy shop. Yeah, for sure. Totally. That'd be cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And so I'm very appreciative. So thank you. Of course. For my and gifts. you're welcome. And thank you for, uh, <laughs> you know, leave, leaving my roof mm-hmm. and roofing my leaves. I de-leafed your roof. There you go. That's better. <laughs> so now that you guys are all caught up on us and our lives, which is what you came here for. Oh, so I clearly survived the movie that I worked oh, on. Oh, yeah, that's now. true too. This is Man, fantastic. so much is happening. I know, so much to catch you guys up on. So much. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, Christian's yes. here. He's back. We're better than ever. <laughs> better than ever. <laughs> Feeling great. Oh, hey. Hey, one Hi. more thing. Hello. To the listener, to you, in your ears right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everybody, for the love that we got on the first Page Master mm, episode. Yeah. Because we split this into two episodes, you know? And sure did. The fact that, you know, so many people really enjoyed Page Master and, and our discussion of it, we really appreciate that. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
thanks for thanks for listening to that and thanks for letting us know how you felt about it because it was really cool to get that feedback. Thanks for liking Page Master more than the Goonies. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> the case, but the Goonies also Page Master, I don't know if it has to do with like the timeline, but I feel like, you know, a lot of people our age maybe saw Page Master that didn't see the Goonies. You've been you've been, you know, you've been know. singing that song for for weeks. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people <laughs> saw the Goonies. I, I don't think a lot of people Because saw I didn't them. see the Goonies until I was older. Well that's but, true. You know, it's, it's still true. dope. I mean, I'm glad I did now, you know. Sure. I'm glad we talked sure. about no, it. Sure. No, no, no. No, it's fine. No, Page Master love. I get it. We love Page Master, and we are here for number they two. They just prefer Kaylin's episodes. That's fine. No. <laughs> no, we've done polls. People like your series. <laughs> series. Hey, this is your first cool. series, and you're doing great so far. So, good job. Whoa. Whoa. Hell okay, yeah. guys. You got to really hype me up for the second episode. Yeah. <laughs> Hyper up. Match the energy of the first one, if not more. That'd be great. Thank you. Hyper up, folks. Yeah. So we're excited to get back into the Page Master. I think we left you off like right as we were yeah. transitioning into the world of the animation. Because we're at the library. Mm -hmm. He's slipped down. He's hit his head. The ceiling begins to melt. All the paint comes yes. down, right? And it chases right. him around. Gobbles him up. And Gobbles him up. Transition. Just like Simba, that bastard. Hey. <laughs> so at this point everything is animated and like richie wakes up and he says that he's a cartoon and this was such a powerful moment for me as a kid i remember yeah. because the page master corrects him immediately and tells him you are an illustration right and i am the page master like he he redirects that whole you're not a cartoon on like it's you know i think cartoons are cool and fine and tv is cool and fine yeah and you know they're like but they they clearly intended to say that books are superior and yes yes <laughs> we are you're in not a TV book. you're a book you're not exactly that's the distinction that we're making here and I do think it was valuable for the film oh yeah um and the page master kind of tells him that he's supposed to complete a series of tests and trials like every other story ever oh, on earth you must ever. face three tests horror adventure and fantasy. Right. And as we progress through the story, we encounter references to all these literary classics, which, like I said, were public domain at this point. And we meet our sidekicks for the movie. So we have books that come out of the woodwork named Adventure and Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And we get some already some fun banter between the two of them as books. Right. And right. <laughs> we also have our Little Mermaid reference really early on as soon as fantasy is introduced. <laughs> And she, you know, she has to hike up her pantyhose and she's like, got to straighten out my Little Mermaid underwear or whatever it is. And <laughs> yeah. watching it now made me think, like, why do you have to talk about the lady's underwear? She's the first female character. Well, there's the mom and the little girls that laughed at him. But, like, she's the first female character they're introducing and one of the first things she says is about her underwear. Right. Like, this one's not going to win any Bechdel test. No. It was, awards. like, instantaneous. Like, yeah. Instant. Um, not, you know, I don't know if I would call it objectification necessarily, but still, why was that like the first thing out of her it, mouth? It threw me off too. Why are we talking about anyone's underwear yeah, in a children's movie? But I, I also think that they wanted to make the Little Mermaid reference too. So it was meant, it was a joke obviously, but yeah. looking at this again through the 2022 eyes, it's not, not as great. And to um, be fair though, Adventure, one of the first things that happens with him before we meet fantasy his belt falls down and he it says, does. oh, I'm naked. That is also true. You're so right. So I think like they were banking on that humor resonating with children yeah. at the time. Like your pants fall down. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Panties is a funny word, you know. It's like, 
I don't know, but it was still weird. Yeah, it it felt weird. You're right. I to totally I didn't include those that references. Notes, but to make either weird. of those references, it was odd. Yeah, I don't know why, but yeah, it was I guess meant to get like a cheap laugh from from kids, kids yeah. in the '90s. And there was adult humor in this too. Oh sure, but but you get this this banter between adventure and fantasy, and if you watch that like behind the scenes of the Page Master, um, Whoopi Goldberg and Sir Patrick Stewart recorded a lot of their dialogue together Good. so you can you can feel that in the movie they were together they were riffing off of each other yeah um like some other like things that we've talked about they were together in the booth and it carried through into the chemistry of the movie right 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 but as they're moving through <laughs> one of the quotes that i liked uh adventure says but this is a library mate not everything's as it seems i wrote that down too yeah oh, it's just so good God. I loved that. There are these little moments, these little, like, everything may not blend together perfectly, and it may not be perfectly written, but there are, like, some powerful statements that they make that I personally really like. There were some really good little one-liners, for sure. And we also get a glimpse of some of the horror that is around the corner for us, because Adventure opens The Hound of the Baskervilles mm-hmm. by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the hound that comes out of the book, he is snarling and slobbering and absolutely terrifying. I was like, going to say, because I just edited our Hungry Hounds episode from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. You referenced the Hound of the Baskervilles. I do. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, it's very, scary. very scary. And they animate it as very, very scary. Mm-hmm. And so like- you know, it pops out of the book and I'm like, what are you doing? We want kids to read books. That's the point of this. And that's real scary. Um, that's not the way to do it. So as we yeah. progress, we- It was for me as a kid. It was for you. You wanted it to be that scary. I, I would have been like, whoa, that's in a book? Where is that? How can I find that? <laughs> yeah. I guess then it had, it did it did what it was supposed to do. But I was Everybody has their own the thing that they Richard like. Richard Tyler, I'm afraid of everything. But I, re- I read Nancy Drew, you know, I was reading mysteries and things that were scary. I sought out fear. And I mean, I, I still do to an extent, but- Yeah. So as I was watching this back, as I was, you know, researching, I'd forgotten that the horror section is first, but obviously, of course it is because we need to meet our third sidekick, which is horror. But I was like, whoa, we're already here. Like this happened so fast. Yeah. It feels like the biggest. It does. But as you approach the mansion, uh, the haunted mansion, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, there's a grave for Jacob Marley, which I think is so great. Yes. Reference to A Christmas Carol. Yes. And we meet this poor, dopey hunchbook, they call him, (laughs) horror. And he explains that horror always has sad endings. And he's so sad and just sweet. And I love him and my heart breaks. And it broke when I was a kid and it breaks now. He's the best. And Krishner actually said in one of the interviews and the behind the scenes stuff, (laughs) he said that horror's father was an encyclopedia and his mother was a paperback, <laughs> so he has a broken spine. <laughs> wow. And he always feels misshelved. Wow. And his only dream is to end up in a section with happy endings. It's amazing. So good. The like, number it's just of so puns good. from the writing and from that. Exactly. Yes. The puns of books and library. It's just, it's so good. It's incredible. And I mean, you can even reach into that further because I started to think like, okay, his dad's an encyclopedia. Like there's all this knowledge, the weight of information, the weight of knowledge and how that plays into horror is such like and the pressure. So is that another reason why his spine is broken and heavy? Everything's heavy to carry. Uh, I thought that was, I don't know. There's a lot yeah. of ways you could take it. I'm probably there's reaching a, a kid's there, yeah. movie, but. 
<laughs> um, so we enter this haunted house. And as a kid, I was always beside myself because as much as I do love this scene it and, and everything that it represents now, it totally terrified me as a kid. As Adventure says, it's just a house. It's just the house. Which I think is a um, Hill House reference. Oh, I'd like to think of it that way too. But it's not, is it? It's not. Never is. Oh, never is. But there's this like green hue on everything. Mm. And oh. of course a raven flies down and says nevermore. Oh my God, that moment. I think you've told me about that raven I probably before. have. I, when I heard it, it gave me chills. It was so good. I didn't take note of who did the raven voice. It was probably um, Frank to be honest. I looked up all the cast, but I, I didn't see anything that said Raven. Yeah, probably not credited. Nothing. Wow. And there's this fireplace mm. and all these beakers and chemicals. Mm. Cylinders, beakers, loop-de-loops. Dr. Jekyll comes in and he is being too nice. Like we've talked about how just unsettling that is because yeah. he's so you? reserved. Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. And I loved the quote, like his quote as well. In this very room waiting to strike are forces of evil. Yes. And that's probably a quote from, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But. I've read it, but I didn't remember the quote. Yeah. That story means a lot to me, but I've, it has been a long time since I've read it. Oh, I, yeah. I haven't read it since high school, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> but as he says it, I'm, of course, over here as a kid, too. Like, yeah, we know you, dude. Like, you're yeah, the forces of evil. you, you creep. It's you. <laughs> um, yeah. So at this point... Dr. Jekyll offers the underage child a drink. Yeah, no, he totally offers a drink (laughs) to these characters. I was like, holy shit, dude. He totally does. This is the overly nice adult offering a child something very mature. Offering a drink to drug them? Like, it's so dark. Oh my God. And also, it's enough to melt through the floor. That's what I was about to say. He's mixing this like caustic martini. And horror is like, can I have the olive? (laughs) It gets knocked out of his hand. Yeah, spit. Oh, it spills everywhere. Green slime everywhere. And to be honest, I have always associated alcohol with this scene. Yeah? Forever, always in my life, always. Anytime I see alcohol, drink alcohol, hear of alcohol, I imagine this martini. That makes sense. (laughs) And Dr. Jekyll taking his big glug, glug, glug. It's very dark. We, we get this like shadowy picture of him drinking the poison. Yeah. And then there's this change in the light and he's like stumbling around, almost limping, like he can't keep it together. And all these like strange guttural noises that he's making. And then he laughs, this cackle, maniacal laugh. Mm-hmm. And he stumbles over and he has his hands over his face. And it's at this point for me, a lot of my life watching this movie, I had to close my eyes because the face scared me so much. Yeah. But he uncovers his face and at the camera, he says, my name is Mr. Hyde. He looks like the animated monkey component of the gorillas. Yes, he does. That is, yes, that is a great Except note. very demonic version a of demonic the gorillas band. Of, yes, that, yes, that is nailing it. He looks That's just totally like that. it. I'm like when I was younger watching like seeing music videos like the gorillas I had that like association and yes. was like turned off I mean I like the music but I was turned off by that because I associated it with that scene it was uh shocking to watch it's shocking that's what it is it's shocking it scares me His eyes. so much I can watch it now I'm fine I'm fine don't worry I mean but like we're not scared of these things but they do um ring a certain bell Deep inside of us. Well, it's the uncanny valley still. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
it's in it that in it the image you know you've got the sharp teeth you've got the glowing red eyes the hair is crazy and you're you're watching you're watching a human become unhinged you're watching a human who was just normal and yeah. whatever you're watching him snap in a second it goes from polite society to very very impolite yes society. and i don't want to beat a dead horse about the uncanny valley but I, I tried to get a little more specific because I really wanted to understand why this was so unsettling. I think you're right on part of it being so shocking mm-hmm. because it's a reveal. You know, it's something that's sudden and it's in your face and nothing else really like that has happened yet in this movie. So, yeah, like they don't address the camera. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, I mean, in most movies, they don't address the camera. But like this almost breaks the fourth wall because suddenly your perspective is the character's perspective. Mm-hmm. And he's in your face. He does so look directly into the quote unquote camera. Camera. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like he's looking at you. It's just, it's a lot. Which was a conscious decision by the filmmakers. Exactly. The because that's scarier. It's so much scarier when you lock eyes with the thing mm-hmm. versus just, you know, if, if you'd been watching that from a third person perspective, like we are watching the majority of that scene. Yeah. It wouldn't have done that to me, I don't think. Right. But now there's this thing looking at you. At and you. so as like a five, four or five year old kid, you know, me watching this, so heavy, like just so scary. So scary. I know. And I, I tried to dig into some of that Uncanny Valley stuff. And it's similar to what I talked about. I think when we discussed All Dogs, kind of, we can't, like, we can't help but indulge in, watch, repeat these scary situations because we're trying to prevent a problem we're trying to prevent tragedy and it's similar to that because we have this natural avoidance of the uncanny valley because if a thing is almost human our brains can identify in in seconds that it's almost human but it isn't right and then our brains start working on why isn't it and some of the most logical conclusions that you can come to in that line of questioning is it dead? Mm-hmm. Is it diseased? What's wrong? It's wrong. What's wrong with it? Yeah. Is it trying to deceive me? Mm, because yes. it's trying to be a human when it when I know it isn't. The logic behind why is scary. Exactly. What's its purpose? Obviously, it's it's like the result of millennia of humans interacting with their surroundings and literally imprinting on our psyche as we've evolved as a species to avoid death yeah (laughs) we all have some level of apprehension about the darkness Mm -hmm. or the dark that's around us because our ancestors there were predators in the dark that's where they are always So you have to be afraid of the dark you have to be on your toes you have to at least have apprehension toward that or you're not gonna make it so only the people only the the you know gene pool that was aware of this was able to even reproduce to live long enough to reproduce Mm -hmm. um and then there's other things not just the darkness, but other things that trigger that same aversion, like snakes, it's, spiders. It's incredible how quickly you can die in nature. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. But we still have these like echoes of fear. And that's kind of what I was yeah. what I was getting at is like there's these echoes of things that kept our ancestors safe that we've evolved past need for. So it's like we don't need to be afraid of the dark. Most of the time there's not the things in the dark are not going to be threatening to us in the way they were to our ancestors. Mm-hmm. Also, we have light bulbs. Like it's mm-hmm. we don't need that fear in the same way that our ancestors did. Yeah. And and then obviously this creature, it has all these predatory qualities like I mentioned with the eyes that are glowing in the dark and you've got the the sharp teeth. These are predatory mm-hmm. tools 
that humans are predisposed to to fear be afraid of yeah. and run from because they could very easily mean the end of us yeah but we are designed in our, our evolution to be afraid of this sort of exactly visual the sort of thing exactly it seeks you out in the darkness it can find exactly. you exactly and for a kid in the 90s <laughs> that's just all it's just monkey brain you know we just yeah. have this like yeah visceral this scary you know it doesn't matter why it's scary i just know that it is it's scary now yeah and it's, for sure. it's even scary now um it's hard to look at. It's like that, you know, um, the internet thing, the Japanese Momo, when yeah. her picture was going around a couple yes, years ago. Oh my God. It's, it's a lot like that because you yeah. automatically want to avert your eyes. You automatically want to get away from it, whatever it is. And I, it, it's a similar thing. That's a very uncanny valley thing because right. you can look at it in an instant and know that it's not right. Exactly. You internally can't help but want to avoid that. Yeah. It triggers fear on a level that we don't consciously exactly understand and it's pretty funny in that vein because i read that i'm trying i've been trying to talk about i keep getting tied up in my notes i read this article that talked about the evolution of what you're afraid of so it's like here's what evolution made you afraid of mm -hmm. but here's what might actually kill you and yeah it was really funny in comparison because it was like i'll just spoil it for you but Motor vehicles and sugar and alcohol and cigarettes and your partner and climate change are all very much more threatening statistically <laughs> to us physically than animals, corpses, strangers, other short-term threats that immediately activate our nervous system. Yeah. Climate change well, doesn't immediately activate our nervous system. So, right. <laughs> it you know, a lot of things do a much better job of causing fear that's immediate. Because fear isn't bad. No, no. It's necessary for survival. Fear is very healthy. I, I looked everywhere trying to find it for this episode because there's this article that I read that mentioned the uncanny valley or had some type of tie to it like yeah. a decade ago, like a long time ago, wow. probably in college. But the essence of the article or like a quote from it at the end, I still remember reading it and just getting full body chills. Oh, nice. Because it was like, nice. what happened to my ancestor all those years ago mm -hmm. that put this in my head that I can't even identify? Like what terror, like echoes through the generations now it's the thing in the closet but it used to be a man eater yes exactly a very real present fear i read even articles for this as well that's that we're talking about how you know evolving living in cities now a lot of those fears are irrelevant or we don't need them as much as we once did yeah so we started to almost create monsters yeah fictional monsters to fill those gaps because our like evolutionarily it was still so strong that we needed to create reasons Oh, why yeah. we felt that way. <laughs> I love the existence versus the creation of monsters. Mm -hmm. I love it. Man. So much. Big nightmares. Nightmare, big. Not just dream big, but... Big nightmares. Okay, so then, you know, the <laughs> chandelier falls. It pulls Hyde into the floor. Yes. And you look down and you see him. And I can close my eyes and see this frame as well. And if you know this movie, you probably can too, listener. The candle falls. Oh, my God. Yeah, the candle falls into the darkness, and Horror, the book, is tied up, stuck in this chandelier chain, whatever. All these and chains, these Marley, Marley these Jacob chains, Marley chains. Right? Yep. And at the same time, he starts shouting, Sanctuary, Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Which is, you know, Hunchback and Dom. Um, mm. It's a Quasimodo quote. The number well, of references is astounding in this movie. It is. 
Oh, so Hyde is still like laughing maniacally, but he kind of falls down into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And everybody, we make a break for it. And we're deliberating whether we go upstairs or downstairs. And we look yes. at the downstairs and there's this flashing red light and like a dark laughter. And obviously I inherently, as we've discussed over the, the episodes, but inherently I knew that that was hell. Yep. And that must be where that goes. And so they're like, uh, uh, up, up, we go up. And I'm like, you better go up. I'm thinking like in the literary aspect of this, that reference must have been Dante's Inferno. Perhaps, yeah. Because I can't think of hell depicted in any other yeah. classic literature. Like classic lit. But then again, maybe not. Maybe it was just yeah. hell is scary. I mean, hey, it was enough for me. <laughs> for sure. And for sure. They recede through these hallways of shelves, like reminding you, obviously, they're still in the library in the grand scheme of things. And all of these ghost stories, they say, are swirling around them. So Haunted Mansion. This didn't scare me as much as a kid, and I love it now. All ghost stories, of course. Ghost stories. And so it's all these like wisps and ideas of stories that are ghosts that are just kind of haunting them. And there was Um, one guy that did all the voices for the ghosts. Yeah, he, he... He was spooky. Spooky guy. They nailed it, in my opinion, in that part. So I love the way that the story kind of begins to happen to them. Because if a lot of people online say that they're bothered by this because of the story structure, they don't feel like it's strong enough. But to me, I interpret that as imagination. And it's almost just kind of as if they're discovering or happening upon the next element. And it feels like a kid's imagination. It feels as if a kid is driving this. Like we talked about with Hey Arnold before. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a child narrator or a child perpetuating the story, I think it's cool. Like I think it right, lends yeah. itself to the way that a child experiences or tells stories. And so they're kind of, you know, they, they go through these ghost stories and then they see the exit shimmering shining in the distance over the water right and it again reminds us we're in the library and the producers talk about the importance of the library in this movie and how it's almost a character because it grounds us and it reminds us of the objective and it's it's almost a boundary it's like you you feel a little bit safer because this is all technically happening in the confines of the library even though everything's out to get him and there's so much peril and there are so many like opportunities for misfortune it's all happening in this universe of the library right and i i think it's cool and i appreciate that they kind of remind you of that they give you those glimpses so you know where you are yeah i get that like it's still safe it's still safe there's still safety there's still structure here there's still a structure we're just playing within the structure right and that's how kids learn that's how kids grow and so i think it's effective Mm -hmm. but the next segment kind of mixes and matches some adventure titles like classic adventure stories um they sail off toward the exit and they meet on the water captain ahab Ahab who is obviously searching for moby dick and he is also unhinged (laughs) in his own way in a way that i didn't remember i didn't remember him being as frightening as he is but there's like he's possessed yeah um there's a psychological darkness to him that even as a child like you can feel there's this hue of red and everything is just real scary again and it made me think that it was rather bold of the filmmakers to put both of these really disturbing moments pretty early on in the film like Mm -hmm. relatively speaking we're really closer to halfway at this point but it's like 
Yeah. You're putting that right up front, and you're just hoping that kids will stick it out. Like, you're hoping that you'll get through it. And I'm sure there are many kids that didn't, but maybe they've gotten back since then. Right. Um, which is kind of funny to think about as well. But they kind of, I think, anticipated that we would walk into the darkness. Because everything around us was darkness. All of the media, everything, this hue, this everything that was cast across what we watched... We had shown them, I say we, really it was, you know, millennials that are just slightly older than me, but we were fearlessly walking into this stuff and we wanted to be there. And then we came along and did the same thing with Are You Afraid of the Dark and and all these other things. So it's like we didn't shy away from it. So their target demographic, any focus group probably was telling them, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes against what you would expect from a kid, but our generation was different i feel like maybe and we wanted it and we looked for it we were also primed and ready from like pinocchio yeah pinocchio dumbo yeah everything we were just used to this peril yeah this idea of something larger than us that can literally eat us yeah i don't know we were just kind of used to it man i feel like yeah in these cartoons yeah and but they just they run with it. They take it and they run with it in the Page Master. Yeah. Uh, at this point, we've been separated from fantasy and horror. Um, Richie's on the raft with Adventure, and he's lamenting that you guys are the only friends I've ever had. And it's this, like, the, the climax of the story, sort of, where they're kind of apart from each other. And we got there really fast. I was like, oh, wow, we're already here. Okay. <laughs> and they spot these sharks that are coming toward the raft. Oof. Then there's another boat that's approaching. And Adventure reminds us and Richie that he should be careful, mate, because not all sharks are in the water. <laughs> yeah. That was a quote I wrote down, too. Such a good one. And we see the Jolly Roger flag fly from the mast of this ship that's approaching. Mm-hmm. And we meet pirate long john silver long john silver he's voiced by jim cummings aka winnie the pooh tigger tasmanian yes. devil he's scar's singing voice for part of lion king he is the voice of pete for a lot of the disney animated shorts uh he's rasputin's singing voice in anastasia wow. <laughs> he's done so much i also learned randomly in researching for this that he also designed mardi gras floats very early in his life he moved to new orleans to design mardi gras floats. no way really yeah wow wild uh but we find ourselves you know they're on the the boat one of the scarier lines that the internet says comes from this movie some of his lackeys some of the pirates with long john silver ask if if he wants them to show him the color of his insides him being richie with the knife held to his neck and they're it's like, red. they're they're red. <laughs> they're red. I mean, that's pretty dark. That's a very violent thing. That's to, pretty dark. To say I remember thinking movie. the same thing watching it. Yeah, I was like, geez. Yeah. Good grief. And I don't know when the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction existed. Early. Early. Early what? Like Disneyland. Like 19. Oh, I'll tell you. Early 20th century. Mm, like 50s. Mid century. Yeah, March 18th, 1967. Okay. I just loved in Disneyland the you know fumbling, bumbling pirate sort of characters. Mm-hmm. The dialect, me too. It felt so the voices. It felt I don't know so how pirates. I felt like I knew it. I knew yeah, it so well. Yeah, it was well. so familiar to me. Um, obviously, Peter Pan also is very yes, heavy yes, in the pirate yes. culture. You know, you got the peg legs and the 
eye patches and the parrots. Like, mm-hmm. everybody knows what a pirate is, even though I'm sure that probably was nothing like what pirates actually were like right. in life. Right. But we have this caricature or this stereotype of a pirate. Yeah. It's so funny. And it's very common. And you think of adventure, you know. I thought of Disney, admittedly, a lot watching this movie because yeah. the Magic Kingdom is divided into segments that very closely resemble this. Mm-hmm. You've got Adventureland, Fantasyland. We don't have Horror Land necessarily, but we have yeah. Liberty Square. We have a Haunted Mansion. We have Turn of the Century. But it's like, like very colonial, colonial America. Colonial, exactly. So it's that old kind of like saloons mixed with haunted houses sure it's the wild west and founding fathers type Mm -hmm. so you kind of do have a lot of these elements in the magic kingdom park yeah because these are classic story elements these are the elements of fiction right that we all grew up on and a to z yeah you get you get a little bit of everything doing it this way yeah and speaking of a little bit of everything we go from you know meeting long john silver we find ourselves on Treasure Island. Great book. And we even get Gulliver's Travels. I know. When they kidnap Horror and tie him down. That's like a common trope in cartoons. I didn't realize how many cartoons actually reference that. Because I knew it as a kid, but I, again, I don't know if kids today would know what Gulliver's Travels is. Probably not um, today. I don't know if they're still reading it in But schools. then it was done a lot. A lot. Often. Yeah. Very often. Um, but we're eventually reunited with the other books, obviously. And Adventure like snaps at Horror. They have a little bit of a tiff. And Horror is such a poor little broken spine. Little, oh, it just breaks my heart now because Horror is just so precious. Broken spine. And I love him. But also watching it back, I'm jealous of all of the stories that Adventure gets. There are so many references that Adventure gets. And I wish that we gotten more horror references because we got some. A few, yeah. But I wish that we'd gotten to explore more horror stories. I will say, and I'm kind of speaking out of turn, out of order here anyway, but there was apparently a deleted scene where we see Frankenstein's monster continue the fight that had started and kind of kidnap Richie. That would make sense. To the point where Frankenstein's monster is actually featured in the poster for the film. What? But the deleted scene, the, the scene was cut ultimately that would have made this hour 15 movie into a full like hour 25 i know i don't know why they made the decision to cut why that. would you cut that maybe it was considered too scary and maybe that's what i was kind of my thought i was like okay Th- that is scary. horror got one one storyline yeah and then you give adventure more and you give fantasy more and you know maybe that's about the way of balancing it yeah i guess i don't so. know but i was disappointed when i realized but you can still see glimpses yeah, hor- the horror element is short it comparatively. is and you can still see glimpses of frankenstein monster in a lot of the advertisements for it like if you have old vhs tapes that advertise page master because they started advertising this movie like three years before it came out like pretty much as soon as they were animating it they started to put out ads (laughs) to try and build that buzz so you can still see elements of it in different places so did did they just never animate that stuff or i think they animated it and was just cut i don't actually know Hmm. i think that there were parts at least parts of it were animated because it appears i want to see a full director i don't know if they finished it before they made it like i don't know if they animated it before they made the decision to cut it i don't know man that'd been cool i I know i wish it were i wish it were there now (laughs) it's time for fantasy so when we transition into the fantasy world fantasy i mean I'm fantasy. <laughs> I'm fantasy. <laughs> so we see this like fantasy world. I mean, it's. Yeah, very Disney, very Black Cauldron fantasy. Yeah, and we get this beautiful song. I <laughs> know. <laughs> it's so random. You know what I thought? I was thinking the whole time 
I would love to hear a modern version of this song performed by Tilly and Pearson from Dance Gavin Dance. <laughs> it would be so beautiful. I would love that. Because his voice it. is so pitch perfect. His register is so high. It would be just mm. the clearest version of this song, but so hardcore and awesome. Yeah, I would be into that. You should do it. Hey, Tillian. I'd be very into that. Cover this song. Hey, listen to we'll us. Pay you money. It's shockingly as beautiful as this song is. It's called Whatever You Imagine. Yeah. It is the most perfect slice of 90s nostalgia. It's so Disney. It's even more than Disney to me. It's, it's, uh, it's fiction. It's, it's 90s fiction. It's me as a little kid. Yeah. It's There's good. just nothing better. It's so good. It shockingly is not the theme of the film. However, the theme of the film, like the credit song, is Dream Away by Babyface. Mm. Babyface. But whatever you imagine, perfect to me. Um, we get this like incredible infusion of nostalgia. So good. And we see all kinds of reference references to like fantasy titles. We see Mother Goose. We see Humpty Dumpty. Mm -hmm. We see fairies that probably represent Peter Pan or like the earlier Fantasia. Very Fantasia. Um, I was there are several say, things that it could be. Again, so much of this movie is so Fantasia to me. Mm -hmm. The inexplicable blending of concepts and elements and visuals. Right. Into like very like, there's no structure. It's just anthology. Hodgepodge. You've got all this together that doesn't belong together. It's yeah. it's really amazing. It's astounding. And I will also say that the fairies bear a striking resemblance to the fairies of Fern Gully as well. Yes. Yes. yes Completely. Yes. Of course, Fern Gully came out a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. but still, I, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that there were animators on both of those because they all apparently were the same people. Small world. Of course, we've also got a fire-breathing dragon. And in order to attempt to save us from that dragon, we get references to Arabian Nights, yep. where yep. <laughs> uh, fantasy tells horror to look up page 1001 yeah. or whatever and nights. finds Arabian Nights and she casts a spell on it with her wand and it becomes a magic carpet. Yep. And of course, we as children are very familiar with the magic carpet because Aladdin had just come out in 1992. So yep. made made perfect sense. And we also get and Alice in Wonderland reference a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And I personally really loved that they included this element of romance <laughs> because we get a moment between fantasy and adventure, the books. Yeah. And they have a little kiss, which is sweet. And then adventure. <laughs> adventure says. <laughs> yeah. Adventure says. How would you like to curl up with a good book? <laughs> <laughs> And she doesn't let him get away with it. She like kicks him to the curb. And she's like, "No," but I'm like, "Yes, please." Me That's too. I'm I like, "Can I curl up with every a good single book? day of my life, please?" <laughs> I just I thought it was really really clever. And of course, they did make a distinct decision not to really have a lot of romance in this movie. I mean, good, yeah. Which there shouldn't be, but it's different because there were other kids' movies at the time that did. So they kind of stepped out of that. Because he continues to try to keep getting kisses out of her. And she's just kind of like. Yeah. You know. Which is, hey, not cool. Consent is cool. We like consent, kids. <laughs> no, she was all about the kiss. She just was. Just nothing past a kiss. Sure. And that's that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> she consented to a kiss, but nothing more. Consent is cool. <laughs> consent is more than cool. Consent is necessary. But caring is creepy. Caring is creepy. The shins. <laughs> yeah. That is a good song. <laughs> yeah. And I also don't agree. I don't think caring is creepy. No, caring is caring cool. Caring is cool too. Kindness is cool. All that stuff. <laughs> but at one point in this segment. We've covered our bases. <laughs> Richie is buried under this pile of books and he's like struggling to lift it off of him. 
and he literally shrugs off the book Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. Do you know Atlas Shrugged? Yeah. Yes. So I think that the joke was just the irony of the title. The shrug, yeah. The shrug. You shrug something and it's funny. Um, it's a book from the 50s. It's Ayn Rand was all about individualism. And it's a very controversial text. It is. But she, because she basically argued that the world is best served when one acts entirely out of his own self-interest. and I know it's referenced a lot in uh, Mad Men. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it argues that altruism can be destructive. And it's just, it's, it's the total flip the script on what's good for society. Right. It's it's interesting. Right. I don't know. It questions a lot. It, it it raises questions. It questions the government, which obviously people didn't like yeah. at the time. The <laughs> now it's kind of like, well, hmm, let's think about some of this. Maybe. There's there could be some some shreds of truth in here. Um yeah. never know. But it, I thought it was pretty funny. Anarchistic. Atlas shrugged. And then I'm like, well do you connect it to Richie like coming into his own power and like finally thinking for himself. The individual power. Maybe. Yeah. But I don't. I, I doubt that they would go that far as to try and tie in Atlas Shrugged, other than the fact that it says Shrugged and he shrugs it off. <laughs> I'm sure it was <laughs> a very soft kind of pun, right? Uh, Punish joke, non-verbalized, right? Humor. So, did anybody else get flashbacks to All Dogs when Richie is eaten by the dragon, and he goes into his stomach, and there's this bubbling magma stomach acid. Oh, yeah. And there's books everywhere, but there's bones and the th- things that have been eaten by this dragon. To me, it, it looked like hell in All Dogs. It, it was really not did. nearly as threatening red. to me, but still. A lake of fire, kind of. Yes, you get that vibe. I really appreciated the allegory of when he's swallowed by the dragon, you mostly see just a ton of books. Yes. It's almost like the dragon represents people who don't support reading or don't support certain Maybe. Maybe they're getting literature. rid of the books, like eating the books. Yes. It's like, it's like the books. if you look at all the symbolism and all the logic behind this, this story, this narrative, you've got the books who are characters. You have the kid who has the library card. He's their ticket out of the library. Mm-hmm. But then you have human characters who represent characters of stories. Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. Moby Dick, Treasure Island. And now you have this dragon who is the book-eating, story-eating, multi-universe-consuming entity mm-hmm. that is trying to eat all of these classic, you know, books and narratives. Burn down the library. It's, it's like the dragon is eating the library. He's eating hmm. everything. It's a threat to the library. It's yeah. a threat to the library. It's a threat to intelligence and education and enlightenment. I like that. And it's like he has to defeat ignorance. The dragon represents ignorance. Ignorance. Yeah. And it's beautiful. I can see that. And so we have, For sure. we all have to defeat the dragon that is book banning currently. <laughs> In We're going to keep hammering until you until you get they it ban books they may as well be eating the books and destroying them yeah. book burning well, they do they burn them so it's like all this Tragic. metaphor and symbolism is, is thrown into this dragon <laughs> that's yeah. consuming he's a world eater representing fantasy exactly. ironically that's what's so ironic about it is that he is within the story himself mm-hmm. and he doesn't even know it and i think that's true of the same right. ignorant people right. the same the same idea that whether or not you appreciate these books or what they are, what they represent, whether or not you appreciate fiction at all or storytelling at all, mm-hmm. you exist in some capacity because of it. Mm-hmm. It is so, it's so before you, it's so after you, 
it's more than you are or yeah. ever will be. You, are you will a never product. consume this. You are yeah. a product of this. Yeah. It's just the way the world works. It's the way that society works. There will always be a narrative. There will always be stories. Mm -hmm. There always have been. Right, so, right. So, okay, the point I hear you making now mm -hmm. um, is that eventually the dragon will ultimately consume itself, right? Because if we're yeah. consuming knowledge right. well, at this you're not, rate... You're not necessarily consuming knowledge, you're destroying in oh, yeah, this yeah. analogy. In this analogy, right. So we're destroying knowledge, but the dragon, the dragon itself yes. is, is consuming because he's Because he's but, eating it. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of cool, though, because he doesn't know his fate. He doesn't know his own fate. He has no idea, which I feel like represents a lot of, um, you or know. Her. His or her fate. His or her fate, kind of like. Their fate. Or, or their, their fate. Kind of like a lot <laughs> of, um, you know, people that exist in those worlds. They they don't quite know what they're doing to themselves until they've already done it, and I I can I feel like I can say that having come from a similar background. I don't feel like my parents were like book burning types, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I feel like they just weren't. Like give them the opportunity. The world that we were in was not pro pro secular knowledge necessarily. Um, right. Right. So I feel like I can say that having been reformed. No offense to mm. anyone. So just you, you know. Wake up, that kind of thing. <laughs> Wake up. Stop destroying things. Because if you destroy enough things, eventually you destroy... Yourself. Wow. <laughs> it's like Boy Meets World. Hmm. Lose one friend, lose all friends. Lose yourself. Very deep. You know, me and my Boy Meets World. So philosophy. Much thought process. <laughs> Very little, honestly. It doesn't take much to get me to an Eric Matthews point of view. <laughs> I've noticed. It's fine. <laughs> No problems with that. No no qualms. Knowledge is power. <laughs> <laughs> a little more knowledge a day. Dragons away. <laughs> We're going to keep the dragons away. We're going to keep hammering this home. I do. I like it. I do appreciate it. So help me carry this analogy through. Okay. Because at this point. I've hijacked the whole thing. No, I think it's great. I think that's so relevant. It's so relevant to right now. It's relevant to always. The ignorant, like My enemy is ignorance. We are against ignorance. You'd think that eventually the buck would stop. It will not. <laughs> unless we do something about it. Exactly. So in the stomach of the dragon, mm -hmm. he's looking for an answer, looking for a way out, and he turns to the books. Look because when you need... the books. There you go. When you need help you need inspiration you need knowledge you need when you don't know what else to do you, you, you turn to the, to the books and i think that's such a cool like <sighs> message so he finds jack and the beanstalk opens it up of course the beanstalk grows and he's able to ride the beanstalk up and out of the dragon which is kind of gross in my opinion it was so um, nasty <laughs> but he he rides it up through his throat like it's an entire ecosystem in his stomach like it's like <laughs> i mean yeah that's that's a common trope i feel like in yeah. just cartoons you know you, you get eaten and you go down in one bite and you're just down there with everything else that it's eaten in one bite Whoa. the beanstalk grows oh, yeah. and they they make their way to the exit and once they get to the exit, finally, they're all there. They made it. And they're intercepted by the page master. And he's congratulating them and telling them they did a good job. Like, you've, you've, you've won, essentially. You won yeah. the game. You beat the, you beat the trials. You, you made it out to the other side. Think, boy. What kind of an adventure would you have had if I brought you here with a turn of the page? Right. So if I just gave it to you, you wouldn't appreciate it, which... There's a lot of philosophy that you could say or think behind that. I don't know. But no, his I, point I, is... I appreciated it. Sure. In this context, it's yeah. it's very much 
you had you had to learn these lessons, you had to have these experiences, or you wouldn't be who you are today. And I think we can all appreciate and understand and agree with that on a certain level. I know I wouldn't be who I am without, you know, difficult things that I've been through. And I think everybody could say the same. Because we're kids and we don't know what we need. Mm-mm. We need I wish I had someone like him in my life telling Just, me yeah. exactly what I need. <laughs> you need a page master. Can he be my life coach? Please? <laughs> He'd make a pretty good life coach, probably. I would do it. Forget the fact that he just put this child through severe trauma and near-death experiences. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's all happening within the context of a library. You have to kind of he was always suspend safe. your disbelief in that and assume that he's always safe. He was always you safe. You gave him safe place to explore, learn, grow, create, yeah. think. So I think that's true. And he's faces fears. He's gained these skills. He's gained confidence. And he's found friendship in these books. <laughs> Which is so nice. Friendship I also, and non-human things. Yeah, They're right. He didn't actually books. make friends with, with They're humans. not actual friends. They're, they're books. But I, I also appreciate that. Same, because that was me in a lot of cases. Look, I'd rather cozy up literally any night with a book than I'm with a friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't need a friend yes. in my arms. <laughs> I need a book in my arms. That's right. If you're Me my too. friend and you're at my house, be at least on the other side of the couch, please. Yeah, get 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 on over there. But with a book, you can be literally in my armpit, and I don't care. <laughs> your armpit. I don't think the books want to be in your armpit either. The books can't the think. They have no preferences. <laughs> are they you don't sure? care where they are. But horror resonated with you so much. You had to believe that your books were alive to I extent. anthropomorphize most things in my life. You do, but not books. Not my books. You do. I've noticed. You talk. You... <laughs> You as a person, you anthropomorphize things more often than almost anybody else I know. It's tragic. It's not tragic. I think it's charming. Do you think I'm mentally ill? (laughs) No. I mean, yes, but no. Because I'm trying to convince my therapist I'm mentally ill. But she's like, no, you're fine. You're totally fine. I do think it's charming in a way because you speak to things as if they are people very, very often. And it's very easy to come, like kind of – I do the same thing, but I think you do it to another level. I watched Beauty and the Beast as a kid. Exactly. I know my, you know, my candles are real. <laughs> Your candles are real? Do you call them Lumiere? No, I call them – Buzz. Buzz is yelling. Buzz says, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy. You just anthropomorphized your cat, so. <laughs> hey, he's living, breathing, thing. So is So are my cats <laughs> and my candles. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm almost done. Almost. Oh, he cries. Okay. So I also have a note to just point out because I noticed it all through my childhood. So why not just mention it? Yeah. I feel like they have lipstick on Macaulay Culkin. I assume they do. They probably I, didn't, do. I didn't notice this. His lips are so red and like bright red. Once he once like, he comes back into his body, his real human. Yes, but also even before that, just his whole character the whole time. He has very bright colored lips. His cartoon self does too. So it made me think maybe that was just how he looked and they wanted to get, you know, make it look similar. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was weird about him. And it's fine if they did. That's fine. I just. It's weird I, because like, yeah. you know, his life got rough after a while it did and he didn't seem like himself in this movie so part of me is worried about macaulay culkin yeah in this movie me too it's a little more flat i i just i wonder what happened between home alone 
I know. In this movie. And honestly, when this film actually came out, he was like 14. Yeah. Because it came out a couple years after they filmed the live action portion. Kind of creepy. I mean, he's he's an actor. He's an actor. But you're right. I think the light in his eyes is not the same. He looks dead in the eyes. Yeah. In this movie. It's rough. But the voice acting is stellar. Mm -hmm. He does great voice acting. I think he does a really good job. There are some clips of him in the studio and stuff that are pretty funny to watch. I want to watch it, yeah. That's cool. You know. That's cool. Yeah, it, it makes me happy. So red lipstick, huh? Red, I don't know. It just, his lips are bright. It's fine. I don't know why they felt, I just don't know why, if it was intentional, I don't know why they Gotta felt the need to make it. sexy as a nine-year-old. Yeah, I don't know why they need to make it really prominent. Mm. But I digress. He bikes home at this point from the library. Yeah. And he takes the ramp that was scary that they were making fun of him for. Like, he faces his fear on that, too. And it's, like, no more training wheels. Not literally, because he didn't have training wheels before. But he had, like, everything else. He had so much. All the safety Safety vest. Like, he had all the safety measures. But now he's flying free. And I'm pretty sure that I used this scene once to, like, argue against having to wear my bike helmet (laughs) (laughs) on my bike. I'm pretty sure I was, like... But Richie didn't have to wear one. You know what's funny? I was so against wearing a helmet as a kid too. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, just, please wear a helmet. Oh God, I can't imagine not if I if I got on a bike now without a helmet, that's like a death wish. I mean, I probably still wouldn't wear a helmet, but I would tell seven year olds to wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> I just I mean, feel like it's important. It's pretty important. I mean, I'm not saying that I definitely would. Like, I would probably get on a right, but like road biking, I used to road. Like, this is a way I rode bike tangent, but I used to road bike and. The thought of getting on one of those without a helmet and the like doing 20 miles at, you know, 15 miles an hour or whatever, 20 miles an hour. Yeah, that's terrifying to me to think about. So that's what I imagine now. Yeah. Yeah. So no more training wheels for uh, Richie. He's oh, Richie. living the dream. He's ramping his bike. That was good. And definitely good. I also figured that you'd appreciate just the bike in general the bike as a vehicle, the bike as a oh, yeah. character. Because there are so many 90s yes, things yes. that revolve around a bike. I lived on a bike. When Me I was too. A kid. I did as well. Yes. So it's nice to see that represented. It's the epitome of childhood. It's just a bike. I also think it's interesting to note that his parents were super supportive. I mean, they were worried about him, at least. They were very engaged in his life mm-hmm. and they weren't absent like a lot of the other latchkey parents were that we discuss. But in order for him to come into his own, they still had to give him space. Mm -hmm. But they did it consciously. They knew what they were doing. His dad gave him a task and said, you're capable, you can do this. And they let him do. Of course, it was a lot more than they bargained for. But still, they gave him that space and he had to grow in that space. I was was thinking like, if I needed something from a hardware store, I would never send my kid to go get it. (laughs) times were different i would just go get it but the hardware store like maybe around the corner like i know that there are people our age who would have done that probably yeah but he doesn't go around the corner he goes like miles away he does it's not around the corner (laughs) if it was that'd be a different movie he would have already he it would have made he would have just gone to the hardware store it's down the highway (laughs) it's not he does yeah it's like really far away (laughs) which bothers me I don't know. I'm like, you how far did you send this? You're kid? building a treehouse. You don't send your ten year old to the hardware store. But speaking of the treehouse, he comes home and he passes out and falls asleep in the treehouse, which 
apparently isn't complete and needed nails, or either that was just a ploy. Maybe he didn't actually need the nails. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm confused about the whole <laughs> the adult tree, element of this The treehouse stands. There's no logic behind the, the adults in this Not movie. really. But they don't exist to be part of the story. No, they it's just the 90s. We don't have parents. Because you have to have parents. Yeah. But they were supportive comparatively. That's the takeaway that I, I got. And I always loved the shadows on the treehouse wall when he falls asleep because mm-hmm. we see a shadow of fantasy horror and adventure. And it's so like, I don't know, the idea of that was so beautiful to me. Yeah. That he's dreaming in his treehouse and these storybooks that just went on this adventure with him are living on in his imagination. Yeah. And it's so nice. I also failed to mention, but when he leaves the library, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Mr. Dewey, tells him that he can only check out two books. And you think briefly that he's going to have to choose between these characters that he's just gone on this journey with, and he makes an exception. But yeah. I thought that was a silly rule. I have I could check out like eight or ten I books. I was going to say, library. that doesn't make any sense. I don't know if it was just for that shock factor of like, how can he make this choice? It didn't make any like, sense to me as a plot point. Yeah. I mean, it should have just been like, I want to take all three of these home. Good for you, kid. You know, it shouldn't have been like- I know. Like, it why would you police no, that? Why are you going to gatekeep? I don't get it. Yeah, it I didn't no understand that either. To me. It was really Because <laughs> I've never heard of a two-book limit. There's before. no two-book limit. Tell us what the limit was at your local library, listener. <laughs> I have no idea. So, for me, watching this film as a child, more than most, it felt like it blurred the, those lines of fantasy and reality. Yeah. It really did. And it made these adventures feel possible. Obviously, I knew I wasn't going to become a cartoon or an illustration. <laughs> but at the same time... You always hoped. Yeah, it it still felt possible. Something about it felt possible. And not only that, but I was very into reading as a kid. And I did feel like I went on these adventures. I felt like I knew these characters. So I understood what they were doing and what they were going for because I could immerse myself in a library in that way to the point that it felt like that. So I really appreciated that as a kid. Yeah. And again, it might seem old hat now, but the way that they blurred the lines visually just wasn't done so for the early 90s it gave us all kind of an imagination it gave us all a window into what could be possible in film in storytelling in general we didn't know it necessarily at the time it wasn't conscious but it really opened a lot of doors for cgi and and everything that we would see as we grew up right and obviously the whole like face your fears face these trials like you'll be cured of your fear all that stuff that trope it's tired it's cliche like it's everywhere but (laughs) as a kid and kids in general kids don't know that yet no it's not kids don't know that it's a cliche it's every generation has to be told that exactly you're never gonna stop having to tell a a new generation every year a kid turns 10 years old and needs to hear exactly that they can conquer their fears yeah so it's never going to go away it's never gonna like go you away. feel like it's tired or it's not a you know it's not a, a plot line that you like to follow but it's still important yeah and relevant and kids have no idea that we're watching this i you know it, it was one of the earliest memories that i have of something like that mm-hmm. any kind of confidence boosting you can face this fear you can conquer this and to see a character having that anxiety of course i don't know that they handled it in all the right ways necessarily the way that i might want something to handle the nuances of anxiety today yeah sure but still it was representation like the the easiest way to tell a kid that they cannot be who they're meant to be and conquer their fears and take control of their own life is to take away the books they're supposed to read yeah at that age i'm yeah. so angry about this but they the like kids don't know it that's the other thing that gets to me 
They don't know it. They don't know why. And not only that, but if their parents are in agreement or if they're, the adults in their life are in agreement with the banning of the books, they associate those books as being bad. Right. And they may never read them. Exactly. It depends on the household that they're in, yeah. the level of influence that's going to have on what happens to – because a lot of times even at school, it might be the only place they could be exposed to, to certain things. Right. So when you're allowing that prejudice to creep in and ban – books, ideas, concepts that you personally don't agree with. It just, it hurts everybody. You're closing off an entire world of knowledge. Yep. It's yep. God, so unfortunate, which is why this movie is so incredible <laughs> because this librarian just stumbles across this kid who wanders in from the storm. Yeah. And he's like, I know what you need. I have just the thing for you. You do almost also get the impression because it's not busy. Obviously, the library is kind of. Um, There's no one there. It's empty. There's no one there. Mm. So you get the impression too, like the world's moving on or the world's forgetting about books or there's all these other things to do. And so mm -hmm. the library mm -hmm. is kind of falling by the wayside. And you get that, like the impression that they want to reinvigorate this idea that the library is cool and the books are cool. Kind of. And there, yeah. like I said, as we started this podcast, like we started this episode, there that that was a message that I heard all the time in media as a kid. Yeah. Um, magic school bus. Yep. Wishbone. Um, learning is cool. Reading learning is, is cool. cool. And of course, they, they have educational kids shows today, but they have educational kids shows in the way of like, this is the letter A. Yeah. They don't – we had that too, but they don't necessarily say reading is fun to the same extent. And not that everything we watched was educational. It just wasn't as stimulating yeah. as they have today. Right. We had a lot more educational content because that was prized over stimulation. Yeah. Makes me think like, look at the 80s. The decade before we were born and growing up and being educated was this – early boom in technology. There were video games. Yeah. There was a boom in entertainment as far as movies go. It was all this stuff that kids could get into that were not educational. A the 80s became the rebel. Right. There are other options like, besides a let's book. Let's smoke. Let's go to the arcade. Let's be cool. Let's not go to school. Let's get detention and join the breakfast club. <laughs> and then the 90s became how do we raise children more appropriately how do we educate children? how do we get them back let's make them think reading is cool which uh you know spoiler it is super cool to read <laughs> a book so tell your kids that if they don't know that oh i'm sure if they're listening to this podcast their kids know it is cool but it makes me think that they were trying to counterbalance the 80s. Maybe, yeah, from, it was a know, correction. Into the 90s. <laughs> in that vein, <laughs> it continues to strike me how much heart is in these movies. Yeah. Despite the dreary, sad, to quote, you know, movie reviews from this, there was this overwhelming, consuming darkness. But when you step back and look at it, they had so much heart and emotion and depth. Yeah. And I'm sure that I saw this movie so early in my life that it very, very strongly impacted my development in my love of reading, my love of stories and fiction. Because fiction, I say it all the time, I can't stress enough the importance of fiction in my life. I don't think I would survive if fiction didn't exist. Yeah. You have to have that escape to, to survive. Mm -hmm. And art and, and fiction are those things. Without that, we it i cease to exist right i saw this really early i don't know that it caused that i don't know that it just reinforced what i already felt
but this was an impactful film. And I would, I, I, this is one where I would totally say, like, bring it to your kids, let them watch it, you know, like keep this one alive for as many faults as it may have as a film. It may not be perfect, but you know, I think that the message still really rings true. And this, (laughs) this is how I ended my notes. I said, the real moral of the story, and you've got to love it, is <laughs> books will always be our friends and teach us stuff. <laughs> and then I put a little less than three. <laughs> they, they, they will. They will always be there for us. They will always teach us things. They will always be companions, whether we have other companionship or not in our life. Yeah. That message helped me in my preteen years, <laughs> yeah. and it helps me now. They'll always be there for us. Always. Stories will always be there for us. Those who read live many, many lives. Yes. There you go. Hmm. So, yeah, that is the Page Master. That's the Page Master. God. Support your local libraries. Go to your libraries. I feel like this is PBS again. But <laughs> <laughs> um, one question I had for you was when he comes to after his whole adventure mm-hmm. and he's lying on the floor and he, he's getting up, he's totally dry. He is. So, how long has he been on the floor? It also is darker. It is somewhat. nighttime. It's nighttime now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say at least an hour, two. To be com, but an afternoon. To be that dry, that's like a good four <laughs> or five. His hair is <laughs> he, perfectly dry. His clothes are dry. It's true. And then Mr. Dewey's like, "You took quite a spill." Like, you watched him fall, hit his head. And didn't help him. I'm just saying, <laughs> how long has he been lying there on the floor, totally <laughs> unconscious? Yeah, that that's a plot point that's hard to Bothered me. reconcile. I guess the only logic is that the whole thing did happen. The librarian is the page master. Right. And we did live this adventure. Sure. I'm, I can accept that. I have a harder time accepting that, but... <laughs> I guess I have no choice. You have no choice. I think he should have woken up with wet hair, but that's just me. <laughs> Come here, Macaulay. Let me just spritz your hair a little bit. Wet glasses. True. Why aren't his glasses covered in water? That's what I want to know. I have so many questions. <laughs> the hard-hitting questions we <laughs> ask here on That's Pretty Dark. This is 2020 with Christian Ma. Oh, Mom. my God. Anyways. <laughs> wow. What a great movie. Yeah, great movie. Go watch The Page Master. Great time. Go go give it a watch, especially if you haven't seen it in a while. And then go to your local library. Get a library card. As Arthur would say, having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. That's true. You're right about that. I can't even say that's not true. Having fun isn't hard. That was very informative. <laughs> We don't know. It's it's like the you get to the end of a phone call and you don't know how to hang up and you're like, uh, well, um, I, uh, well I gotta cool. I gotta I gotta go. I guess. I Thanks go. for calling. <laughs> um. We appreciate you very much for listening. We're excited to continue 2022 with you. We've got lots more content that we're researching actively and ready to bring to your ears. Oh yeah. So get ready for it. We'll catch you next time. Until next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. <laughs> <laughs>
So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>